Good evening. You may notice uh, there's no PowerPoint this evening. I'm just as nervous as you are, trust me. It's not, not my normal speaking style, but uh, it's a little bit different lesson, as, as Marty stated. It's, it's more of a personal uh, nature, so might might even be a little tougher on some levels. But I, I have it all typed out. Um, I may get lost and have to find my way, but uh, hopefully you'll forgive me that and we'll, we'll push on. Before we get started, I um, just want to make sure, I want to level set, does, does everyone understand what it means to sin? I mean, do we all have a, a good working definition of that? I think we probably do, but just, just in case. Um, you know, it, it, of course, it's when you do something wrong, but it's, it's a little more than that, isn't it? I mean, it's not wrong as I think things are wrong, or you might think that are wrong, or the government thinks that are wrong. It's, it's things that violate God's law, isn't it? That's, that's what it means to sin, ultimately. And, and it's what he says is right and wrong that, that's ultimately important. Well, next question. I know everybody hates to raise their hand, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Don't, don't worry, I think you'll, you'll, you'll like this one. But raise your hand if you have never, ever, ever sinned in your life. I didn't see any hands. I want to make sure we understood the question. I mean, sinning, violating God's law. Has anyone ever not done that? Thank you. I'm not talking about the kids. Thank you, Bertie. I love that. I love that innocence. I'm glad no adults raise their hand. That means I'm in the right place for what I have to say tonight. Thank you for that. And now that we've all level set, um, you know, I, I too have sinned. But there's been one particular sin that's really been difficult for me. And it's not something that I've just recently struggled with. It's been going on for 30 years, almost 30 years. Does that surprise anyone? Anyone else have a sin that's longer? No, don't, don't raise your hand. <clears throat> you know, it, it's a, it doesn't happen all the time, but, but when it happens... You know what follows, don't you? You know what ensues. The guilt. The why. Why? Why again? Lord, can't you just help me with this sin? I don't want to do it anymore. But yet, time and again, when it presented itself, I would fall prey to this particular temptation. For a very, very long time. And, you know, it's not that each of my prayers was not sincere. They they were very sincere. And I really wanted help from my Creator, to not fall into that temptation uh, again. Uh, There's something, though, on one occasion that I found myself, once again, in this this position. But when I went to pray, something was different this time. Different than all the other times. And this is really what I want to talk about tonight. I'm not going to tell you what the sin is. If you really want to know, just talk to me afterwards. I'll be more than happy to tell you. It's Nobody raised their hand. Remember that. When I asked about sin. So, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll be glad to talk to you about that. But, you know what? I left my phone back there. That was going to be my scripture. But, um, you know what? Can somebody bring that to me, if you wouldn't mind? While that's happening, if you would turn to Luke chapter 18. Since we're talking about prayer, I thought before we kind of get into my personal experience, thank you, brother. I wanted to uh, look at an example Jesus gave about two, two different men who, who prayed. And if we start in verse 10 of Luke chapter 18, 
says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, crooked, adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to raise his eyes toward heaven, but was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And, you know, I've read that a thousand times, maybe 10,000 times, I don't know. But never once have I read that thinking, am I like the Pharisee? Do I pray that way? No, never. Every time I read that, I was like, I'm the other guy. I'm the humble one. But even though I might not have prayed the exact words that the Pharisee prayed, I, I've thought it. And I've actually prayed something pretty similar. And it, and it goes something like this, especially after these times of temptation that I've fallen into. It's like, God, I'm doing pretty good. I just have this one area. Thank God I'm not like the Pharisee, right? So maybe I wasn't saying it exactly, but, but I was living it in here. Yeah, I thought I was doing okay. It's just this one area that, that I struggled with. That's what I thought at the time. You know, it's interesting. Both men prayed about themselves, which is okay, isn't it? It's okay to pray for yourself. They both did. They pro- both prayed about themselves, but only one went away righteous. And it was the one who realized his complete and utter dependency upon God. That's a very important condition well, like I said, I've been dealing with this issue for 30 years, and is it a little late to say I, sometimes I'm slow at realizing when I really need help? Anybody else like that? Wives, don't all point to your husbands. So I, I came to God that time. You know, I was traveling, and uh, I remember returning to my hotel room, and I, I just went to the floor. And I'd done something that I'd never, ever done in my life, Ever. I wept. And and as I laid there on the floor, I kept thinking, I I can't do this. I don't know how. I kept saying the same thing over and over to God. I said, God, I, I can't. I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And I'd prayed for help before, but this time I said, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get out of this. Over and over and over again. And immediately when I was done, I just remember something felt different. I felt like there was hope for the first time in 30 years. You know, it's not, again, not that I wasn't sincere about the other times that I prayed. I was very sincere and, and I very much wanted to not do the thing that God didn't want me to do. But it's not really all about sincerity, right? And that was three and a half years ago. I call it my surrender day. When I fell to the floor, just just broken, not knowing how to fix it. And I'm a fixer. I'm an engineer. I do this for a living. I fix things. I engineer things. I create solutions. I couldn't engineer my way out of this. I didn't know how. You know, when, when, when people ask sometimes, like, you know, I notice... I know something's different. You know, what happened? I said, well, I, I tapped into the greatest possible power that there is. I said, well, tell me more. 
What do you mean you tapped into the greatest possible power? And I, 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 if, it's, if it's a Christian, I'll say, well, you know what? First three verses of John chapter 1, right? There was nothing that came into being that didn't come in through God. He created everything. That's pretty powerful, right? And to give you an idea of this power, if, if you remember back, anybody old enough to remember 1977? The Voyager 1 spacecraft was launched by NASA. And they launched it out in a particular direction, and the idea was to get fantastic photos of the outer planets, like, like Pluto. It was a planet back then. And it did. It reached the, the outer planets, and it gave us tremendous knowledge and beautiful pictures, just eye-dropping, eerily barren, I like to call it. Earth's a special place, trust me. But this, this probe was traveling, and still is, a million miles a day. And I thought I was a frequent traveler. A million miles a day for the past 46 years. Well, how far is it? Where is it at right now? You know, it's not even outside of the influence of our solar system. A million miles a day, 46 years, and it's not outside of our sun's influence. Well, how much longer until it's outside of the influence? 30,000 years. At a million miles a day. You see how big... Just our solar system is, it's big. The galaxy we live in has more than just one solar system. As big as the, uh, our solar system is, there's about two to 400 billion solar systems in our galaxy. Is just our galaxy a big place? How many galaxies are there? With hundreds and billions of solar systems. We once thought there were 200 billion galaxies. Now we think there's more than 2 trillion. Thank you, James Webb. The universe just got a lot bigger. You know who did that? The greatest possible power there is. And the more we look, the further we look, just the bigger it gets and the more awe-inspiring it is. That's what you do when you need help. You go to someone that can help you. And God has the greatest possible power to do that. Why hadn't I tapped into this before? Why hadn't I taken advantage of it? Why beat myself up for 30 years? Because it was fun? I don't remember it being fun. Guilt is not fun, is it? Well, I want us to turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And take a look at something else that I've noticed for the first time. Don't you love these first times in Scripture? You're like, oh, I've read that so many times before, and you read it another time, and like, wow. Why didn't I see that before? Starting in verse 45, Mark chapter 6. So just before this, kind of set the stage, Jesus and his disciples, they were, they were with the crowds. They were, they were you know, working with the people, and Jesus said, we, we, need, we need to rest. You need to rest. Let's get in the boat. We'll go to a secluded place across the lake. Uh, or sea of Galilee, or you know, Lake Gennesaret, if you will. And so they go to this secluded place, but the townspeople see them, and they get there on foot ahead of time, and they're already there by the time they reach this place across the lake. And then Jesus does something spectacular. He takes five loaves of bread and two fish in a basket. He prays over it, and he hands it out to the disciples. He goes back in, he hands it more out to the disciples. 
He goes back in, he hands more, over and over and over and over and over again. All this food to feed 5,000 people from this little box of food. No one had ever seen that before. And at the end of that, this is, this is the part that's kind of, well, it's all interesting to me, but starting in verse 45, so immediately after that, immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Marty, I want one more verse here. Just one. How did he make them? I mean, your version, if it's New American Standard, might say he had them get. Literally every other translation says something different. But it's all the same thing. He made them. He compelled them. How did he do that and why did he have to do that? Pure speculation here. I don't think he grabbed them by the ear and gave them a swift kick and said, get in the boat. I don't think that's how he made them. I think it was more of a compelling event. But, but why would he have to compel them? Could it be because of the miracle that just happened? They were there. They were receiving the food from his hands as he dipped them out of the box time and time and time again. Would you want to leave? Again, speculation. For whatever reason of their reluctancy, he had to compel them to get into the boat. And he had to do it immediately. There's nothing in scripture that's in there just because we need extra words. Is there, Marty? Mike? They're, they're there for a reason. And, and again, I, I'd never seen this um, until recently, but he made them get into the boat, and he had to do it um, immediately. He compelled them to get into the boat. And they were supposed to row to the other side ahead of him, where he dismissed the crowds, and then he went up the mountain, because they were, they were on the shore. They were in their secluded place. They had rowed there, and now afterwards he was headed up the mountain. Now, the, the Lake uh, Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret, um, Tess and I had the privilege of seeing it recently on a trip to Israel. It's just beautiful. It's, it's a massive lake surrounded by mountains. When you're up on the mountain, you can see the entire lake, and it, it's massive. And it's, it's beautiful. It's green, which is significant because little things in, in Israel are green, but uh, it's green there around the lake, and it, it's just, just marvelous. It's a beautiful sight, one of my favorite places. And the, the lake is about 13 miles across in its widest point, 7 miles in its narrowest point, and they were rowing across it. Which part were they rowing across? Not 100% sure. I, I have an idea, but, but either way, even at the narrowest point, rowing for 7 miles? It's a lot of rowing, right? Well, if we look at uh, verse... Um, well, we already talked about that. Look at 48. Beginning in 48. So the disciples had already, already been gone, and something happened while they were rowing, while they were in the middle of this lake. See, a storm came, and they were rowing into the storm. Verse 48 says, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. Uh, just stop right there for a minute. Where was Jesus when he seen them straining at the oars? He was up on the mountain. What time of day was this? It's nighttime. How did he see them? There was a storm. How did he see them at night in a storm while he was on top of the mountain? The winds were against them. The waves were against them. Life was against them. And who's seen it? Jesus sees it. Jesus seen their struggles. He sees our struggles. 
He's seen my struggles. Did you think that Jesus knew ahead of time that by immediately telling them to get into the boat, that the timing would be just right to where they were in the middle of the lake when they encountered the storm? Of course he did. He's God in the flesh. He knows stuff. He knew that was going to happen. They were right where he wanted them to be when the storm hit in the middle of the lake. But they had just obeyed their master. He had told them to go. They were reluctant, but they went. They obeyed, and now they find themselves in a storm. Have you ever given your life to God, being obedient, and then find yourself in a storm? You don't have to raise your hand. Well, on my day of surrender, as I call it, it's December 18th, 2019, that I came to God completely broken emptied myself completely and said, I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And just a few months later, there was someone very close to me that received a fatal diagnosis. Someone that I loved very much. And it was a, it was a big blow to me. And that was the second time in my life that I wept. Within two months of each other. Never wept before. Didn't even know what it means to weep. But I wept. And about that same time, it was on my birthday or near to my birthday, I got a diagnosis of cancer. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was straining against the oars. That the wind was against me. The waves were against me. And life was against me. And you know, some storms, they come and go quickly, but others linger. Well, a couple of months later, I was diagnosed with Raynaud's disease. I'd never heard of Raynaud's disease. Sounds like something the French get. It's a French spelling, anyway. Um, no, I had it, and uh, it's the capillaries in your fingers shrink up. They stop pumping blood to the ends of your fingers. They turn white. And if you can't get the circulation back in a certain amount of time, your cells die. And Well, that's, that's not good. When the blood does come back, it's very painful when that happens. Um, it's called an idiopathic disease, which is a fancy way of saying nobody knows why you get it or where it comes from. It just happens. It's one of those diseases. Well, a couple months later, I had to have a second stint. Um, actually, I forgot about the, the first thing there. Uh, August, August 18th, I had a, my, had a heart attack. Many of you know that. It was a STEMI heart attack, uh, S-T-E-M-I, which is a big, big word there, uh, S T. Uh, well, STEMI is uh, ST, like elevated myocardiac infarction. It, it, it's a big word, but it means you're having a heart attack. It's another way of saying a widowmaker. A lot of people don't survive that. I had a 100% blocked left anterior descending artery, and when you're having a STEMI heart attack, your heart is literally dying. It's being deprived of oxygen, and your cells begin to die. Cellular death is normal in the body, but it, it's not It's not supposed to happen this way in the heart. Um, The staff told me after another 20 minutes I might not be alive, and then I suddenly felt like I was really straining against the oars at this point. Well, after the Raynaud's disease, a couple months later I had to to have a stent, and a couple months after that I slipped in my driveway and broke my neck, uh, C6 vertebrae. I was on my way to cardiac rehab. 12 weeks of cardiac rehab after a heart attack, and they want to hook you up to monitors and watch you do exercise. And I was on my way there to one of those sessions. And I remember laying there after hitting my head and just 
thinking, am I okay? Um, what do I do? And it's kind of slowly moving. I got up and, okay, I think I'm okay. I got in my truck. I went to rehab. I got hooked up to the monitors, got to the rowing machine. I rowed for four miles. And at the end of my session, I thought, what if I have internal bleeding? I'm on blood thinners now. I told you I was slow. The nurse said, you need to go to the ER right now. You know, my wife was in the house when this happened. The first she heard of it was when I sent her a picture of me in a neck brace in the ER. She was not very happy. Well, my neck was healing, and about a month later, I had a second heart attack. This time, it was my circumflex artery, 100% blocked. Another STEMI heart attack. Uh, Another widowmaker, as they call it. Uh, You know, listen, when we decide to do what's right and give ourselves to God and be obedient to Him, life is easy, isn't it? Uh, No. Where does it ever say that? Where is that promise? Well, if we, if we fast forward a little bit, skipping a, a plethora of other health issues, on April 24th, I had my third heart attack. It was the worst of the three. I was two hours in the cath lab, no sedation, had 100% blocked right, right coronary artery. It was another STEMI heart attack. Three Widowmakers. I joked to my wife the other day, whatever you're doing to try to kill me, it's not working. <laughs> but by the way, if you really want to upset your wife... Call her up on her cell and say, just so you know, I'm driving myself to the heart hospital. I'm having another heart attack. Thank goodness I didn't follow through with that plan. Um, so, so why the storms? I'm being obedient. I'm not giving in to temptation. Why? Why, why all the storms? Well, like I said, Jesus seen his disciples, fourth watch of the night. He, they, they were... Straining at the oars, and the idea here is that they were tormented in their rowing. The waves were against them. The water was against them. The highest power, though, there is in the universe sees your struggles, and he sees my struggles. You know, and Jesus came walking through that wind and on those waves with, very, with ease. The very thing that was given the disciples a hard time, he was walking on them. And in fact, he was intending on passing by them. Verse 48, I believe it says, he was walking faster than they could row. The things that were giving them struggles and against them, it's no problem for Jesus. No problem at all. And when you think about the kind of power we have that we can tap into, that the struggles we have that we we think are monumental, can't be overcome, that's, that's not true, is it? We have someone that can overcome them. And, you know, in, in my case, all these, these storms that I call them, you know, I say, well, well, God's not ready for me yet. And people say, ready for what? I don't know. But I think back to Joseph. Remember Joseph? How his brothers were, were insanely jealous of him and they sold him into slavery. How long was he a slave? Was it 13 years? See, he was being shaped into the man God wanted him to be for 13 years in his condition so that he could be fit to lead a nation. And not once 
do I read where, where after Joseph was released that he went to Pharaoh and said, man, 13 years, and where was my God at? Why did he abandon me? No, he was a good ambassador. He didn't do that. Another way uh, to look at this, we look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all what? You should know this one by heart. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, again, I've read this verse many, many times before. Okay, yeah, uh, trials produce perseverance, endurance, and yeah, I see the end result, that's great. But it wasn't until that day that I looked at my own life and came to God as being broken. And now I see these storms that may be happening in my life as a way to lead me to being complete. My brokenness to be over, to being perfect, lacking in nothing. How beautiful is that? Thank God for the storms. I wouldn't have said that three and a half years ago. You know, I hope no one's thinking... um, I don't know, if I surrender myself to God, I may encounter storms like you. Don't be afraid of that. I tell you, because of these storms, uh, I, I don't complain because every day is a gift now. The people in my life are a gift. Everything I do is a gift. Waking up is a gift. And I don't ever want to take life for granted the way that I used to. Yeah, it's true. I've had a little trouble um, since my surrender. But if I had kept going down that path... Even without heart attacks, broken necks, and all the other things that's happened to me, it might have cost me my soul. That's how dangerous sin can be. So regardless of what happens to me here on out, it's far, far better than what could have happened. And and just take a a look back at Mark chapter 6. We'll wrap this up here. Looking at uh, around verse 50. You know, Jesus came walking on the water. They all seen him, and they were terrified. Not only were they they facing the struggles of life at that moment, but now they see what they think is a ghost, and they were terrified. And what does Jesus say? Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And it's interesting, in verse 51, Jesus got into the boat, and the trouble immediately stopped. You know, whatever storms you're encountering, I'm encountering, they're not likely to last a lifetime, are they? They will stop. I think that's, uh, again, what God uses to to shape us. Um, I remember when I started flying years ago, commercial aircraft, that we encounter a storm and I would just grip the arms of the seat. Especially when you're going up and down, your altitude loss, altitude gain, and your stomach churns, and I'm just gripping the seat. But now, I can sleep through it. Not just recently. This has been some time. People ask, how can you, just, how can you not be all anxious and intense about it? I said, you know, there's absolutely nothing I can do about this situation. I can't go fly the plane. I can't fly it any better. There's nothing I can do about it, so... There's a certain amount of peace involved in that way of thinking, isn't there? When I completely place my life in the, in the hands of the pilots, thinking that, that's all I can do. I can't do anything else. 
But when I, when I did that with God, the, the outcome is well, it's, it's better than, than not going down in a plane, isn't it? But even with, with Jesus, got into the boat, the winds stopped immediately. You know, we can become stressed in life when we try to deal with things on our own. And, and sometimes that stress comes because we're involved in things we, we have no business being involved in. Uh, we, we, we take on too much sometimes. But if anyone here feels like they're in the middle of a storm or that you're a bit broken or life has got you down or you're discouraged or you're depressed or you're frustrated, I pray that you're broken to the point of complete surrender. Does that sound bad? That that's my prayer for everyone? That you break to the point of complete surrender because that's the point where we as humans are freely and, and able to fully empty ourselves of our will and allow God and His to take over. And that's what He wants all along. Well, God bless you for being here this evening. If you haven't surrendered yourself to Jesus wholly, I pray that you do that now as we stand and sing.